And now let us join together in a reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapters 9, verses 28 through 43 from the Common English Bible. About eight days after Jesus said these things, he took Peter, John, and James and went up to a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes flashed white like lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, were talking with him. They were clothed with heavenly splendor and spoke about Jesus' departure, which he would achieve in Jerusalem. Peter and those with him were almost overcome by sleep, but they managed to stay awake and saw his glory as well as the two men with him. As the two men were about to leave Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it's good that we're here. We should construct three shrines, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But he didn't know what he was saying. Peter was still speaking when a cloud overshadowed them. As they entered the cloud, they were overcome with awe. Then a voice from the cloud said, This is my child, my chosen one. Listen to him. Even as the voice spoke, Jesus was found alone. They were speechless, and at the time no one told them what they had seen. They told no one what they had seen. The next day, when Jesus, Peter, John, and James had come down from the mountain, a large crowd met Jesus. A man from the crowd shouted, Teacher, I beg you to take a look at my son, my only child. Look, a spirit seizes him, and without any warning, he screams. It shakes him and causes him to foam at the mouth. It tortures him and rarely leaves him alone. I begged your disciples to throw it out, but they couldn't. Jesus answered, You faithless and crooked generation, how long will I be with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon threw him down and shook him violently. Jesus spoke harshly to the unclean spirit, healed the child, and gave him back to his father. Everyone was overwhelmed by God's greatness. The word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Oh God, as we come before you, we pray that you might open our hearts and our ears and our wills and spirits that we might hear you. That we might hear what is proclaimed to us this day. For oh God, we come with heavy hearts concerned for our world and for ourselves and those we love. And so we pray that your words might speak through that, might ease our fear and bring us comfort and peace. In your name we pray, amen. So I can be rather passionate and animated, especially when in a debate with another person who is, well, dead wrong. I have been known to engage in political debate and argument with friends, colleagues, and dangerously family members. I can be rather convicted of my own rightness and will argue with quiet intensity and emotion. This is until I realize I have waded into territory of which I know nothing about. Maybe I've not read the latest news story, or I'm just no longer sure that my passions are backed by fact. So I have a few choices here. One, 
keep arguing and hope that the other person does not catch on to my lack of knowledge. This is the fake it till you make it gone wrong. Two, change the subject ever so slightly so I can argue a point of which I have more knowledge and hope the other person does not catch on that we've gone from arguing the color of the sky to the color of the ocean. Three, declare that I no longer want to engage in this debate and throw one last punch. It does not need to be on topic. Four, admit that I've waded into a topic of which I'm less confident and start to back down. Five, admit they have made some good points and that I need to read, learn, and ponder it all further. Please assure me that I am not the only person who has found themselves in this place deep into a debate. If you have, I trust that you have made better decisions and backed out gracefully. I would like to tell you that that is, I have always chosen number five, admitted my lack of knowledge and therefore sought to learn from the other person and the experience. Unfortunately, I have tried all the other options multiple times. But as we all do, I'm learning, I'm growing, and I'm more and more likely to admit my lack of knowledge and understanding. I know that I do not know, and I can admit it. The disciples often get a bad rap, and much of it is deserved. Peter denied his closest friend in his greatest hour of need. While Peter's crime is egregious, the other disciples disappeared and ran away, which shows a lack of courage at the very least. They also engaged in petty, ego-driven arguments about who was the greatest. Jesus must have felt like a mother driving a minivan with her children in the back having an absolutely ridiculous argument. I can imagine him rolling his eyes, stealing himself, taking a deep breath so that he could calmly, with a loving demeanor, correct and educate those who should have known better. Of course, the disciples are also quite remarkable. They left all that they had and loved to follow Jesus. They were people of deep faith, faith that wavered, but that also made them human and real. They shepherded in a new faith tradition based on Jesus' teachings. They healed, they taught, they learned, and sometimes they knew when to keep their mouths shut. In today's text, Peter, John, and James found themselves exhausted and on a mountaintop. They had gone up to pray but the disciples could barely keep their eyes open. It is little wonder. They had been traveling from place to place to place. They had been Jesus' companions and his students. They had witnessed healings and conflict. They had almost died in a storm on the sea. They had already tried to get away, but 5,000 people found where they were going, and instead of resting, they had to feed the multitude. So by this time, they were hoping for a break. They went up to the mountain to get away, to recuperate and to recalibrate. But even there, 
they were thrown off balance. Before their eyes, Jesus' appearance changed and with him stood Moses and Elijah. Peter, undoubtedly and rightly confused, suggested they build three shrines or dwellings. Heck, that must have sounded lovely. Maybe they could stay there for a while and they could rest. They were smart enough to know that as soon as they descended the mountain, they would be met by crowds and they would have to get right back to work, which is exactly what happened. So Peter suggested they just stay a while. They would take a while to build three shrines. Of course, immediately it became evident that Peter did not know what he was talking about when a cloud descended upon them and the voice says, this is my son, my chosen, listen to him. And the disciples' response? Nothing to no one. They were speechless and at the time told no one what they had seen. You've got to give Peter credit here. He learned. He had already revealed how little he understood. This time he decided not to say anything. What is interesting about their silence is that it was self-imposed. There were times that Jesus did sternly order and command them not to sit, tell anyone, but this was not one of those times. They could have come down the mountain and told the crowd what had happened. It would have been a great story, certainly newsworthy, clickbait if there ever was, but instead they remained silent. One has to wonder why. I think they chose number five and were able to admit to themselves that they did not understand. How could they? They had just witnessed something miraculous. Jesus had been revealed to them in a whole new light, literally and figuratively. They could not wrap their heads and minds around it. They did not understand and they would not understand until Jesus' death and resurrection. It was only when they looked back, when they had the advantage of hindsight, that the events of the transfiguration made any sense at all. <clears throat> Their silence required humility and a posture of learning. It required them to admit, at least to themselves, that they did not know. They did not understand and their silence this time showed wisdom and growth. We would do well to learn from the disciples. After all, we are a lot like them, you know, human beings, both a mess and kind of remarkable. We share that in common. Our certainty gets us in trouble. Our self-righteousness prevents learning. Sometimes it's important to check our need to argue, debate, or express our thoughts and opinions, especially when we're speaking about something of which we don't know very much or we have no experience. I have been in too many conversations with individuals who have tried to argue the inappropriateness of they, them pronouns. Fortunately, this is happening less and less as such language is becoming more commonplace. But the argument is a rather ridiculous. It does not matter if we have grown up learning they, them as plural pronouns and find it difficult to transition to using these pronouns for an individual. Sure, it takes practice and we will mess up, but our thoughts on the issue really are not important. 
People are telling us that the binary pronouns do not match their internal experience and another's experience is not up for debate. Our language has not made space for the fullness of human expression. It really doesn't matter if we like it or not. To love other human beings, we must keep a posture that's open and full of wonderment. We do not need to fully understand because we cannot fully understand another's experience. We simply must listen, appreciate, learn, grow, and change. It strikes me that so many of our current challenges in society, the world and among nations, and even in the church has to do with our inability to admit that we do not know. We are unwilling to gracefully back out of arguments. We think it's a sign of weakness to express doubt or uncertainty, and yet both are integral to the human experience. Without doubt and uncertainty, we do not learn and grow. Self-righteousness also leads to a lack of compassion, polarization, and even war, as we are tragically witnessing today. I imagine there would be some healing in our world if we approached one another with openness to learning and an assumption that we do not have answers. Of course, there are times we must stand on the side of justice and sometimes that means drawing a hard line. But rarely is healing or compassion created with a posture of arrogance that grows out of the certainty of our convictions. An openness to learning and working for justice and standing with and beside those who have been marginalized, it is essential to be open. A posture of curiosity and willingness to stay silent makes space for truth and for change to emerge. I want to be clear, however, that there are times when silence is inappropriate. The Russians protesting their country's invasion of Ukraine are demonstrating remarkable, incredible courage. They do not need all of the facts to speak up. They understand that war will bring suffering upon both of their countries and it already is raining devastation upon them. In this case, they know enough and silence only allows tyranny to thrive. But my friends, we often find ourselves in a space of confusion or uncertainty. As uncomfortable as it is, such spaces are also a place of learning and discernment. My spiritual director has walked with me through many transitions in my life, some that have rocked and shifted my world and changed me forever as a person. As I sit in those in-between spaces, unsure how to go on or what is next, she will ask me to tell her what I know. Inevitably, I bump up against what I do not know. She will smile and she will say, you will know when you know, and until then, you do not. Eventually, like the disciples, we may look back and we may see it all more clearly. For revelation takes time, growth is slow, change requires effort, and sometimes the graciousness and humility of knowing when to stay silent serves us well. You will know when you know, and until then, you do not know. Amen.
Let us pray. Oh God, there is so much in this life that we do not know. And we are often overwhelmed by that fact because it means that we also do not know how to bring about peace and healing. We do not know how to end wars. We do not know how to save the people of Ukraine or even Russian citizens. And so we bring all of this, all that we do not know, and we lay it before you and we pray for insight. We pray for compassion. We pray for an openness that we might be willing to learn that our hearts might be transformed and that somehow as we do that together and with and for and on behalf of one another, we find a way forward. And through all of it, O oh God, we trust that you are present with us and with the world, for you are a God of all your people. And so we entrust ourselves and everyone to you. And in your name we pray. Amen.